Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. A stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Right, hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, It's John Bailey here, um, sat alongside me once again is the illustrious Mr Tom Parker. Hello Tom. Hello John and hello listeners. Um, So as usual, if you want to get in contact with the uh, Saints FC podcast, please do. Um, You can send us a tweet, Saints FC podcast, or send us an email at Saints FC. Um, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com um, I would also like to thank uh, one of our listeners for writing uh, a rather charming review and that came from a Mr Maurizio Pochettino he says this podcast is the Maurizio Pochettino of the Southampton FC podcast it's brought together a collective of star names for a great output great listen yeah, I mean, lovely for Maurizio to get involved. Funny how he references himself in his own review there. Um, anyway, so yeah, thank you very much, Maurizio. Uh, interesting that, that you're still interested in Southampton. I thought the way you left us was uh, perhaps rather a little bit callous when uh, you moved on to Tottenham. But um, hey, hey, we think we might talk about managers that have left us for bigger and better things elsewhere later on in this show. Um, but first of all, Tom, I want to pick up where we left off last time we chatted. And um, that was uh, before the match against Newcastle. So Southampton at home to Newcastle. Um, uh, What what did you think? I predicted a win because I'm always uh, the most optimistic person in the world. Um, It was better. We scored two goals, one from open play. Um, But all the same weaknesses were there, weren't they, in terms of the indecisiveness. And there was one moment, I think there was two moments in the first three minutes where we had to get a chance to get a ball in the six-yard box and we didn't. And you just knew then it was going to be one of those days and and in the end we were kind of hanging on for dear life at home to Newcastle it was a frustrating game to watch it 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 was I mean I happened to be on holiday at the time so I was watching it in the sunny town of Tavira in the Algarve in Portugal um it was an Irish pub there were more Newcastle fans in it than there were Saints fans um and I think the one thing that we all agreed on was that the referee's performance was quite poor um I thought uh, Newcastle could have had a player sent off. Um, we thought the penalty was a little bit weak. I think Shane Long was being quite clever there, though. I think he yeah, kind of forced the referee into giving a decision. But um, yeah, besides that, I think you know the, the, the Newcastle fans looking at me, my dad and my father, and watching the game, getting really, really frustrated. I don't think they could understand why. But you know, tell, tell us what was wrong. What, what were all the problems that I was getting so annoyed about? We'll, we'll, I think first thing we'll come to some of the things they've actually done better I think in the last game against West Brom but it was the indecisiveness it was the the fear of shooting and also when we when we did shoot we didn't really put the goalkeeper under pressure and I, I even think the the goal we scored from open play uh, it was a w- weird goal it sort of you felt like almost like the referee was going to blow up and pull it back for something because it all sort of happened in slow motion Um yeah, very frustrating. Um, players not taking chances. And uh, I think we saw, again, players that are undroppable. 
Um, this is something we spoke about a number of times this season. Um, Redmond, Taddeck uh, and, and Forster. Um, just, you know, you saw really anonymous performances and I kind of wish Forster had been anonymous, but he definitely wasn't. Um, and I think it just kind of summed up almost everything that was a bit rubbish about the season so far. Yeah, so, I mean, let's start with uh, Fraser Forster then. He was beaten from long range again. Again, a shot that went quite low. Um, and I've heard a theory that, um, you know, when Fraser Forster was out injured, he did quite a lot of strength training. So he tried to almost bulk up a little bit, make himself a bit stronger. And the theory is, is that since he's done that, he's become slower. His reactions are, are not so good. And I kind of get that. But he seems to be very, very good from close range. You know, when it comes to kind of making himself big on the goal line in a scramble, he tends to be quite good. But these long range shots, every time it seems that someone has a long range shot against him that is like half decent in terms of speed and, and direction, then it goes in. I, I have a theory and it's not this one. I think he's too big. And you look at a lot of modern goalkeepers, they are wiry, um, like David De Gea and the, and the really good goal at Courtois. They're not, they're very tall, but they're not big. Forster combines, it's almost like a rugby centre. And I think the goal against Newcastle, you saw a player that he he knows what he has to do. He knows he has to spring back up on his feet and get up, but he's almost too big. He's six for eight. What is he going to weigh, like 14, 15 stone? And I, I just wonder if he is too big and he's bulked up too much. I think your theory is, is a good one. Yeah, and then, so he was getting a lot of stick uh, from the Saints fans on Twitter. Um, I mean, that's not surprising. The Saints fans on Twitter, we, we do tend to give people stick perhaps a, a lot more regularly than you would uh, than always is deserved. But we then had uh, the under-23s game the following day and our reserve goalkeeper um, picked out an absolute stinker and showed that off, and that was all on video and all over Twitter. So, you know, perhaps just regardless of the fact that he's a bit slow, a bit bigger, not quite as quick off his feet again, he, he's still not going to be dropped because we haven't got enough in, in reserve. Yeah, I, I, I've i not seen the goals. I think it was, it was uh, we exceeded four, did we, in the, in the reserves in a week? I think that you have to trust the manager, then you, on... I mean, this this is, makes no sense what I'm about to say. I apologise so much. You trust the manager on the goalkeeper because they know McCarthy... And they must see McCarthy and they must think he's not up to it. But with the other players that we spoke about, the wingers, we do seem to have ready-made replacements there. And that's why it drives everyone mad. But yeah, Forster for the second goal, was it wasn't pretty. Yeah, uh, again, you know, well, I mean, let's let's move on from Forster. I think, you know, we've, we've worked on him enough. Um, two of the other players, yeah, the wingers that you mentioned, Redmond, Tadic, you know, not being dropped. Um, you know, perhaps if only we had someone who kind of had like a little bit of magic on the bench that, that, that we could turn to. Anyway, that clearly wasn't available for the game against Newcastle. Um, I, I suppose one of the really positives about Newcastle was Manolo Gabbiadini doing it again. His first goal, he really made out of absolutely nothing. He wasn't really going anywhere, wasn't going in the right direction, yet he still somehow managed to kind of turn around and, and pick up uh, you know pick up a goal I mean what did you think what did you make of that goal I, again I think it was a weird goal I think I, it did feel to me a bit like a training ground goal um, but I, I wonder if that you saw that and then we'll come on to Bufal you're almost seeing some of these players that are like, I'm not going to pass like if I feel I can do this I'm not going to pass because if I pass someone's just going to pass it and pass it and they'll go to Tadic and nothing will happen and I wonder if 
sometimes they need to take a punt. They need to take a shot. And I think it was a really, really good goal. And it was, uh, yeah, it, he needs goals. He's a very streaky player. Um, we know that. Everyone knows that about him. But fingers crossed he can go on a bit of a run now. Yeah. So, so I mean, let, let's get to the crux of the problem here then. You basically think the players don't trust each other and they don't want to pass to each other and they don't necessarily trust the system will, will generate the chances. No, I think they want to pass to each other. I think the, the fact they want to pass to each other is the problem. I, I think they want to pass to each other because no one wants to take the responsibility of shooting. So in the end, it's just easier for everyone to pass to everyone and things will eventually fizzle out. I, it, I, I think they want to pass to each other because they lack the courage to have a pop. And I think when players do have a pop, as you saw at the weekend, as you saw Gabbiadini, they can score goals. Okay, so... um all right, well, we'll pick up on that a bit later. Some of the problems that I had with the game against Newcastle were um, I thought the play was too casual. Um, I thought we lacked purpose at times. We didn't look like we kind of had that fight or spirit. Um, I couldn't really decide whether it was a tactical issue or whether it was a motivational issue. I I, I said at the time I, I tweeted this, I, I don't like to criticise Saints, but... Saints play when they're one when it's nil nil or Saints are losing. They play with the air of a team that are winning two nil. They play with this like very you know lackadaisical, very calm. Just pass it around. If you, I would love to know the amount of if you kind of split the pitch into fifths, the sort of the amount of balls played by Southampton players. If you imagine in the sort of second and third fifths of the pitch, you know, like in and around the halfway line to our centre backs. We just seem to pass it languidly around those guys, and I, I don't know whether it's a uh, that's they must be playing to the system they've been told to play to. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, he Pellegrino doesn't necessarily look particularly pleased with what's going on the pitch. You know, when you see him at the sidelines, but then again, after the games, he's not coming out and saying, "Well, actually, I set up the team to play a certain way, and they didn't deliver." He's not criticizing his players publicly. I mean, I don't know what goes on on the training ground whether they are doing what he's telling them to do um, and I suppose that's kind of where you don't really know whether it's the tactics or the motivation it, he, he doesn't look clueless Pellegrino but the players kind of do at times yeah I think we've got a few headless chickens haven't we and I think um, I, you know, I keep coming back to them I think they are so prominent because when they're good they're so important to the way we play but Talik and Redmond I think are the you know if you look at the the players that where we seem to run out of steam it's when the ball goes to them and um, I, you know, I think they both need a bit of time away from the team. Okay. And then the other player who frustrated me against Newcastle and I think we disagree on, on this is uh, Virgil van Dijk was annoying me. I kind of felt like his clearance uh, was responsible for one of the goals. I thought it was a bit lackadaisical, you know, a bit kind of like a, a league one player. It was... It, it was Either, if you're going to do a clearance, if it's real, real danger, you either smash it out and get it totally out of the danger zone or, you know, you're a really classy defender and you're playing it out. And he did neither. He just kind of like pathetically pumped it back out to the Newcastle attack. But you thought he had a better game than, than perhaps I did. I thought he kind of occasionally got caught out of position, looked a bit disinterested. I, no, I agree on that. I, I think his body language in that game was was pretty awful. I think he does look disinterested and I think he doesn't look as on the pace as he should be I think he gets away with it because he's so good um, and because he's so comfortable on the ball so tall so strong so fast I think he kind of gets away with it but 
I agree. His body language in that game did kind of stink, and the and the clearance, which wasn't anything at all, uh, which led to the goal, was very frustrating because you kind of you just expect better from from his carpet player. Yeah, and I saw a lot of debate amongst Saints fans afterwards about you know what's our best centre back pairing? Should Hoot be should Hoot be back in the team? Um, you know, wasn't this all totally unfair on Stevens? And then a lot of people were just saying, well. The fact that is that we just have to accept that Virgil van Dijk is our best defender and, you know, we just need to give him the time and, and get him established back in the side again. Um, anyway, I think we should probably move on from the Saints versus Newcastle 2-2 game because there's a much better topic to talk about and um, that's Saints versus West Brom. So, Tom, normally you make an annual trip down to St Mary's yeah. uh, for, for this game. So... Did you do that on uh, on was it Saturday? It was Saturday. Saturday evening, I went to my local pub, um, which was a Millwall pub, which is lovely, um, and watched the game. Um, no, I didn't. I, I had a, a time off on this one, and it you know first for eighty four minutes. By God, I was glad I wasn't there. It was it was pretty turgid game. I've seen a lot of I've heard a lot of people say it was a terrible, awful game of football. I actually disagree with that. I, I don't think it was as awful as people making out. One thing I would say, Saints at least looked like they wanted it. They really went for it. They shot. They really fashioned openings. They crossed the ball and they had the chance. Helped by a West Brom team who clearly weren't interested. Um, but yeah, I felt the attitude was better. What, how did you feel watching it? I think you were watching it on your phone. Yeah, I was on a um, stag do this weekend. And uh, none of the rest of the stag do were Southampton fans. Um, which is a shame, but we were out in the pub, as you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, on a Saturday, on a Saturday afternoon, and I watched it on my phone in the pub. So we're talking about a pretty small screen here. But first half, I actually thought it looks like Saints are really trying. They're showing that purpose that they looked like they were lacking in the game against Newcastle. They kind of looked like a team that had been given a bit of a bollocking by the manager. And he kind of sent them out a bit more fired up and said, look, you really have to show the fans that you do care. You do want to go out there and win it. Uh, we had some good chances. I mean, Oriol Romeo, I think we should have done, done much better yeah. with his chance in the first half. Uh, again, had chances. Um, they looked better. You know, they did. They did. They looked hungrier. They looked like they wanted to win a game. And I think maybe they realised that if they hadn't won that, they are heading into more difficult fixtures. The, you know, it would have been one win at home. I think people would have gotten their back, and I think people would have got on on Pellegrino's back. And I think he, in the end, they just about got it right. Yeah. So, I mean, so the first half was was a little bit more positive. We've talked about the West Brom kind of attitude, the way they approach the game. You know, coming to St Mary's, where basically Southampton never score, and then setting up as defensively as they did you pretty much would have bet your house on this being nil-nil. Um, but then in the 81st minute, Pellegrino makes that substitution where he brings on a Moroccan, um, I want to call him a wonder kid. He's clearly incredibly talented, but but Sofian Bufal came onto the pitch. Um, Tom, do you want to have a go at trying to describe this goal in words? You felt like it was going to be pulled back. Like when he when he scored, you thought that the reason why he had made it look so easy is because the referee had or had blown up for like an offside or something like that. Um, it was amazing. It was so quick, and it it was proper Roy the Rover stuff. It was amazing. I can't remember a better goal we scored in 
or any Saints player scored in a long time. The the crowning moment isn't actually the goal. It's it's the bit where I think Nyong and and uh, the other I think the right back sort of smash into each other like in a comedy style. Brilliant to watch. Um, celebration was a bit off for me, um, but I guess yeah, he's very frustrated. He's looked there and. Tadek and Redmond on it haven't exactly been pulling up trees and, and being well beaters and he probably thinks he deserves to be on that pitch and going back to the Newcastle game he came on he did he did all the things that people criticise him for not doing in terms of tracking back in terms of tackling he looks like he's bulked up in the gym he looks like he learned he needs to he knows he can't just be a show pony and I thought the goal was it was wonderful to watch I mean it, it was absolutely incredible really and you're right about him being a bit more involved he, he picked it up pretty much just outside our area um, almost immediately kind of went into a challenge but managed to kind of turn around take the ball with him and then started sprinting off up the pitch which is where we then get that beautiful comedy moment that you talked about where the pursuing yeah the, the pursuing West Brom uh, defender clashes into the one coming up but then everything that he did after that as well was great you know the way he approached the goal he took it towards the defender, he jinked around, and then he curved it beautifully into the right-hand corner. And it, there's um, a really fantastic shot where it's just behind him, and you can see the ball swing out and swing in. Beautifully placed. It it was outrageous. The whole thing, really, um, w- w- was rather wonderful. And I've heard people making um, comparisons to a certain Diego Maradona goal against uh, England in the World Cup. Was it that good, Tom? No. I, when you're young, when you're a kid, you think the best goal is the best goal because it's the best goal. Now that I'm old and, and wise, goals, great goals matter because they're scored in important games. So, Sofiane Buffal's goal against, you know, in a no-mark game in the Premier League is still a great goal. But great goals, that's got to be Zidane against Bayer Leverkusen, that, that ridiculous volley you know, it's got to be, it's got to be Maradona in a World Cup quarter final. It's got to be Matt Letizia on the last last game of the day. Doing it when it matters. So yeah, for me, like, so I I love the goal. I can't give it one of the world's greatest. Sorry, Safian. Do you think he's going to win Saints goal of the season this year? I bloody hope not, because if he doesn't, that means someone else has done something better. But. Uh, it would be great if we see a couple more goals that, that can have a running. I mean, considering how poor the goal of the month competitions have been this season so far. Us taking shots in the back garden that we get a smiley face on Twitter and that's it. Yeah, it's terrible. Right, so um, let's go for, for the next thing. So, obviously, Sofiane Buffal came on as a substitution in the 81st minute and he provided that individual piece of brilliance um, that you know, he, well, he just basically made a goal out of nothing. And if it wasn't for that individual bit of brilliance, yeah, you know, we probably wouldn't have won the game. But there's another substitution which Pellegrino has made in the last two games, which I want to talk about. And I wonder if this is perhaps a clue to some of Saints' problems, and also perhaps a solution to some of Saints' problems. Yet, I think it's going to be quite an unpopular opinion. Are you ready for this, Tom? Hit me with this. So, Oriol Romeo, player of the season, I think, two years running for, for the fans. Um, an undroppable player has basically been substituted off late on in the last two matches. 
so against Newcastle and against West Brom. And both times he's come off, I thought Saints have looked better. Now, this isn't supposed to be a slight on Oriol Romero because I think he's a wonderful, wonderful player. I think he does his job really, really well. But do Saints need Lamina and Romeo in the same team, especially when we're playing against teams like West Bromwich Albion, Newcastle United at home? One of the criticisms we had after the Watford game, I remember, was that we set up very defensively and we were saying, well, why on earth have we set up like that against Watford, a team we should you know, we should be looking to beat at home? There are some people think that Romeo is carrying an injury of some sort. I still think Romeo is great. And I I still think that, well, I'd like to see, actually, I'd like to see uh, Bufal given a run in the team. And I think if you have a player like Bufal, you probably do, you know, you need to maybe overcompensate for, for that. You know, he is a more of a luxury player. Um, and I think that there were positive substitutions on Saturday. I think the, the, the substitution, you know, bringing on Davis for, uh, you know, and enabling us to put a, a proper winger on where Davis has been playing. I don't, I don't know about uh, Romeo. Um, he is still a tank. I think he complements Lamina very well. In many ways, he has become like a service player to Lamina. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see because two of them are unstoppable together. But do we lose something up front by by being so defensive? I think we do. Yeah, I, I think we do as well. And I think perhaps that might be the key to the lack of attacking purpose is that you have Romeo generally sits in front of the defence, protects the defence. Okay, he got into the box against West Brom um, on Saturday, but you could see that he's not quick enough. He hasn't got the finishing ability um, in the same kind of like way as perhaps a Stephen Davis or a Redmond or a Tadic might, although you know, let's perhaps forget about this season in terms of those examples. Um, and it's it's kind of upsetting to say it because I think Romeo has been so, so good for us, but... I do wonder if, if we don't need to have Romeo and Lamina in the same team, especially when we're playing against sides that are not in the top six. So I can definitely see the advantage of having both of them in the team when you're playing against Man United, when you're playing against Liverpool, when you're playing against Chelsea or Arsenal, you know, teams that are going to attack you. I think it'd be great to have both of them in. Top six, but you mentioned Liverpool. What? I've seen a mistake there. I was, I was thinking of the top six finishing positions last season. Oh, right. that, makes, that makes more sense. Sorry, as you were then, sorry. Um, yeah, although I, I, I think I will find it quite hilarious if they don't finish in the top six this season. And, you know, perhaps we can talk about some more Schaden, Schadenfreude later on in the, in the podcast. Um, so if you're a manager, what do you do when you've got players that are kind of undroppable that you kind of think you might need to drop to make the team work better? Are we talk, we're talking about Romeo, I'm guessing. or Yeah, I think that he's... I think he's right still play remote. I would like to see more of Davis recycling the ball faster. I, th- I don't know. I almost think he probably wishes he could just play 12 players because I don't think you can drop Romeo. You definitely can't drop Lamina. Um, and we do seem wedded to this idea of playing with two wingers come hell or high water. So, yeah, we can't play what we did on Saturday, which is a 4-2-4 uh, with one defensive midfielder. Um, we'll get torn to shreds. So you look at what Liverpool are trying to do now. I mean, well, to go, we'll come to Lovren, but one of the reasons Liverpool look so bad at the back is because they've got no protection from the midfield. And I I think that football is, unfortunately, now a game of, you know, you either get like your Sam Allardyce-type managers or your Guardiolas. There's not very maverick managers, and I think people play the percentages, and I think Romeo gives you percentages, I imagine. Well, I mean, 
you, you're a big fan of Romeo, but do you think he should be dropped? I kind of think that that perhaps I think we just need to look at the system and we need to work out what it is that will give us more attacking purpose in those games. And I think the last two games where Romeo um, after he's come off, in both games I thought we'd looked a little bit better afterwards. I thought we had more shape, more speed, more energy. Um, but bloody hell, I wouldn't want to be the guy that goes and tells the player who's been your best player for years and hasn't actually put a foot, foot wrong even this season. And handled himself very, very well in all public. You know, he never moans, never kicks up a fuss. You know, handles himself with real, like it seems like he'd be a real pro. Um, but yeah, you know, Sunday we'll come to Sunday's game. But Sunday's a great example. Do you, you know, perceivably a weaker team against Brighton? Do you drop Romeo for that? I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I guess probably what um, Pellegrino is going to do is probably use that four-two-four approach again, um, which is a way how we can get enough attackers on the pitch and include both those two players. I guess probably the the great managers of the world um, will drop the players, even if they're superstars or, or the best players individually um when it suits the system if they trust the system so i i anyway i think that's one to watch i don't know what pellegrino is going to do i don't know whether i'm right or wrong but it, it has occurred to me that perhaps we don't need romeo and lamina in the same team at the same time i think beyond that if we if we do what is that we've got players like james ward prowse uh Hoiberg can't even get anywhere near the team um you know what's going to happen these uh you know classy went and we thought well classy is going because, you know, Hoiberg and James Ward-Prowse. But turns out that none of these players are getting, you know, anywhere near that, that first team. So it's going to be an interesting few months, I think, for Saints. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, you know, Pellegrini is already clearly developing his favourites. You know, Redmond, Tadic, Long, Gabbiadini all, all seem to be up there, along with, you know, Romain Lamina. But, um, you know, Davis didn't start, did he, uh, on Saturday? And, and that's probably something that would have been you know, pretty unthinkable for you know a fair fair old while. So he's clearly not afraid of making difficult decisions. I hope he's starting to get us, you know, clicking. I hope the players are starting to play for him. And and, and let's see. I'd be feeling you know not overly confident about going to Brighton and getting a win. Um, they've obviously played very well at the weekend as well and got a victory. I mean, admittedly against West Ham, who are poor. But um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think we're going to do against Brighton? Um, I always say we'll win, uh, so why change the habit of a lifetime? I think we can win. I think West. I don't think West Ham tells you anything about a Brighton team. I mean, Glenn Murray. You you would think that with uh, Van Dijk and as Yoshida also playing very very well at the moment. By the way, um, you you'd think that we've got enough to keep Glenn Murray quiet. Um, and going forward, I think if we play that four four two four. If we play Buffon, which I think we should, um, we got we can trouble them. I I think you know you could see us winning that one or two nil. Yeah, I mean, what was the last time we played Brighton away? Was it when Jose Font got that great goal? Oh, no, because they came up that same season, didn't they? So we would have played them in the championship as well. Yeah, they, they kind of, yeah, they, yeah, I can't remember what the result was. I have to dig that out. But the, the one that everyone remembers is Jose's 96th minute looping header. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that we want to recreate. Um, at the Amex Stadium in Brighton, next Sunday that's the third Saints game on the television in a row I mean we must have set the world alight in the early games of the Premier League this season to, to be such a you know hot pick for the TV studios people want goals and Saints get goals uh, hang on no that's not that's not right at all sorry no um, right let's have a little think about some of 
our ex-players, managers, because there's been some pretty big news um, for them. I mean, there's some people that have left the club and, and done pretty well. I mean, if we talk about Pochettino, who obviously left us that lovely review, he left for Tottenham Hotspur. He's done really well at Tottenham. Um, they had a fantastic victory against Liverpool. They've drawn to Real Madrid. He's managed to do what he did at Saints and do it even better at Tottenham, hasn't he? Yeah, all, all helped by the fact that they have... You know, we've spoken so much here about Southampton having a lack of a finisher, or a deadly finisher. Helped by the fact that Harry Kane's kind of come out of nowhere. He was a bit of a laughing stock. And it's just deadly. You know, he's absolutely deadly. Deli Alley. You know, they've probably got two of the best five players in Europe right now. Um, you know, alongside Ronaldo, Messi and maybe Neymar. And you're saying Harry Kane and Deli Alley? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think they're brilliant. If you look, they're consistently now. I think what we're looking at now, three se- three seasons in a row for Harry Kane. Yeah, he's clearly not a you know, one-shot wonder. Um, he's just amazingly consistent. And I think Ali is is up there. He's a ho- He looks like a horrible little rat of a bloke and he dives and all that. He does all that horrible stuff. But you've got to give it to him. And they score a lot of goals. And even like Ericsson, really underrated. Vertonghen... Abdul, we know how good that those those players, Wanyama, there's a lot of RX guys there. It says a lot. Um, and so perhaps inspired by Pochettino, uh, Kuman decided to move on from Southampton um, at the end of not last season, but but the season before. He left a club uh, that finished sixth in the table, doing you know pretty well, got proper European qualification, signed up their superstar Dutch defender for a whole other season. And and he left for an Everton side that were kind of languishing, you know, towards the kind of lower end of, of the middle table. Well, what do you think was going through Koeman's mind when he left Saints? What's that ABBA song? Money, money, money? No, I don't know. I think I was saying this on, on Saturday We one of the things we probably left Saints is because we sold Mane and we bought in players like Redmond and that would drive you absolutely insane. Uh, he obviously thought he would build something there and he'd be given the money to build something but with the with the great money comes a great responsibility and if you don't deliver very, very quickly with that money, all of a sudden, um, you're out on your ear and, and this afternoon, that's what's happened. Yeah, so, I mean, Kuman sold Romelu Lukaku um, who is a great, you know, finisher and at Saints we know what it's like to go from having someone who's a great striker and then losing them um, yeah I can think of kind of like Lambert and, and Pele Lukaku was was you know a level above that in terms of his finishing ability and his strength and power um, but Kuman had 140 million pounds to, to spend on replacing Lukaku and um he replaced them with you know a whole bunch of attacking midfielders and and it, it hasn't hasn't worked out well at all has it? They, they seem to have signed a lot of bang average players. I mean they signed some great players in um, you know like Sigurdsson. We all you know everyone would love Sigurdsson at their club, um, but they even uh, Ashley Williams doesn't seem to be really doing it. He's coming to the sort of twilight of his career. They they seem to have spent a lot of money on players that are kind of just a bit average. Um, even like Rooney is, you know, no doubt a great player, but you know, wage below is meant to be seven point five million pounds a year. So it, it's a lot of money they've spent. Clearly, they wanted instant results. They're not getting them. They look terrible, uh, and they look lost. And I think that the fight that was against the Leon fight 
I think told you a lot more really. I think people focus on the fan or the kid that was punching people, but that was the sign of a club that was in crisis. And um, I'm surprised he didn't go after that, but it's pretty embarrassing on Sunday. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy Cumin getting sacked this afternoon, Tom? Is, is there a little bit of you that felt a bit like... <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you do a little bit. You don't mind when, when clubs, when players and managers go to like a much bigger club. Well, right, let me go the way. Everton are a bigger club than Southampton. They get bigger crowds, they have bigger history. Fair enough, they have more money. But you get the feeling he could have kind of built something at Southampton. He could have built like a five or six year legacy. He he could have built a bigger club. Yeah, he could have built that bigger club. He could have, you know, worked harder to get the ground up, you know, build the, you know, build the attendance at the ground. And I, I it, you don't want to see anyone lose their job, but hey, man, it's not like, you know, he's on a zero hours contract. He's going to get, what, like, two and a half years of six million quids worth of salary they'll pay him it's not bad um, and football being football he'll just he'll have another job within three months and we all know that yeah and then so i've got another question to ask you here let's say you know we get to the end of the season and saints finish where they are now in the table i you know 10th slap bang in the middle um performances haven't really changed much over the season not had anyth- anything of a league uh, anything of um, a cup run would you take Kuman back no I think you'd look stupid wouldn't you you'd look, it's like a, it'd be like taking your, your wife or your girlfriend back after she's run off with another man you'd be a bit emasculated so for me yeah never go back uh, and yeah we just have to move on but I don't I don't feel hugely sorry for him I think his interviews he's been very standoffish um, it's weird. I don't know how he's managed to get it so wrong, but that's that's football, isn't it? Um, do you actually think he's not as good a manager as he looked at Southampton? Did he just jump on the Southampton train when it was full steam ahead with the work that Pochettino had done? Um, we brought in some good players. I mean, we sold some really great players the, the summer he came in. We lost Lambert, we lost Lalana. Um Obviously, Schneiderlin stayed for another season, but who else did we lose in that in that summer? Uh, I can't remember. Obviously, oh, Lovren as well. Lovren, yeah, but we obviously bought in Tadic. Uh, obviously, bought in Pella, uh, Van Dyke in that time. Mane. Uh, so the quality players came in. You do wonder whether some managers just find their level and wonder if. Kuman excelled by getting. I mean, I think he did excel by getting Southampton into sixth place. It was an amazing achievement, but taking taking Everton to fourth which I think is where they want to be that's a hell of a job um, and I think it's beyond him and to be honest it's probably beyond most managers it, it is a challenge and I remember a lot of pundits talking about this you know despite the fact that Everton spent 140 million pounds nobody could actually see them breaking into you know let alone the top four but but the the, the top six um, you know such as the dominance of the big six teams allegedly although it's not necessarily looking that way this season. So um, I think one of the teams that I suggested in our preview season that I was hoping that Southampton could potentially get into the top six, but it would require one of the top six teams to fail. I thought the most likely team to do that would be Liverpool. And you know they're, they're pretty much demonstrating that. They're not looking great at the moment, are they? And one of our ex-players has, has come in for a, you know, a bit of a, a shocking bit of criticism. So I know you had a bit of an opinion on, on this. Um, what do you think of Cop's treatment of, of Dejan Lovren? 
I think it's it's crazy. I don't I don't understand how I'm not a you know I'm not a football manager as we all know. I don't know I don't understand psychology like all these people understand psychology supposedly. I don't understand how publicly lambasting someone who and I've said this before about Lovren. I think Lovren is more mentally fragile than um, other top class centre backs like say like a John Terry or someone like that who is just made of like granite and you know would never waver and never stop I've always thought Lovren was a bit fragile he did it for Saints a few times where he kind of seemed to to lose himself a little bit um, I just don't understand how Klopp thinks that in the long term this is a solution to I can understand binning him after 31 minutes taking him off that's just embarrassing but to, to slag him off after the game it was almost a step too far I mean it's not like Lov- uh, it's not like Lovren is one of many centre-backs that Klopp is blessed with. So who does he think he's going to... He's probably just going to have to play Klopp again this weekend. Uh, sorry, you have to play Lovren again this weekend. So I, just, I don't understand the psychology. And if any of the listeners understand it, then please get in touch. But I've got no idea how he thinks this is going to play out. It's quite interesting with Lovren because it, when he played at Saints, he did have a couple of mares. Um, but... The pressure's not on Southampton players in the same way that, that it is Liverpool players. And you, you know what happens. When Saints beat a big side, all the focus is on what the big side did wrong. And and very rarely, apart from, you know, the occasions when you get like some wonderful piece of magic or, or you know, an outstanding performance, very rarely do, do they actually focus on the positives of Saints. It, it, all the interest is on the big six. So when Lovren made a mistake four Saints against a Man United or a Chelsea or whatever, it would it would never be the focus on that. It would be like, oh, you know, what a wonderful thing Diego Costa Drogba, has done. It's because Drogba's put him under pressure. That's why he's made a mistake. It was always like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yet for Liverpool, he doesn't get that, that same sort of forgiveness. But yeah, it, it is interesting to see that. And, and, you know, I think as we look back at all these players that have left Southampton... So, I mean, Pochettino, things have obviously gone very well for him. I think, you know, Victor Wanyama, he's with that squad with Tottenham. He's obviously, you know, moved on to pretty, pretty good things. Lalana, his career has, you know, still continued. I think he had a pretty dodgy first season, but he's starting to look you know, like a key player. But a lot of the other players that have left Southampton. Mane's done very well. I think Mane, yeah, has to be out there. He's done very well. Yeah, but Mane as well. But um, Luke Shaw... Obviously, no, nothing great has come from that move. Callum Chambers, nothing great has come from that move. I think you can even start going back to kind of like Walcott and, and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Jose Fonte is, a, is another. I mean, but I wonder if it's a law of averages. We've sold so many players that inevitably some of them would turn out to be duds. Um, but football's gone mad. We've said this before. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, you know, a player that Liverpool did not need. Um, no one knows if they really even wanted him. He was going to be on a free transfer in nine months' time, and they paid forty million quid for him. And they think he can be a, a right winger. By all accounts, he wants to become like a sweeper centre back. It kind of makes no sense whatsoever. Um, it is absolutely bonkers. And uh, but I think you're right. You raise a point. Luke Shaw, nowhere near that Man United team. Chambers, not near the Arsenal team. Um, Walcott talk about him coming home again I don't think that would be a good thing for Saints we need to look forward not back um, you, football is just very very strange at the moment because it's this weird mix of loads of money and nostalgia and that's never a good thing and, it, and it's weird as well because 
you look back on those on the Saints sides that we totally dismantled and sold out across the rest of the Premier League. You thought, yeah, what could we have achieved if we kept them all together? And actually, I think we probably could have achieved more if they'd all stayed together and continued progressing together, you know, with a couple of additions. Perhaps, I mean, maybe you don't bring in a Mane if you don't sell a Lallana, who, who knows? But, um, yeah, it, it would have been great to see them, them progress. And I, I wonder if some of those players and perhaps uh, an ex-manager are also kind of thinking, you know, what might have been had they stayed at Saints a bit longer. I think I think the one that really springs to mind, and I, I take no in the nightmare that Lovren had I do think he's having a very difficult personal time at the moment I don't take any happiness in that but I like Fonte Fonte's the one because he was Billy Big Chips thought he'd get a move to Man United didn't and now he's just getting murdered at West Ham so that's the, that's the kind of one where you can have a bit of schadenfreude I think on Fonte that's the that's the schadenfreude Fonte's the one that you enjoy the most is it? I think so because it's just the arrogance it's the pure arrogance because West Ham might have a big stadium, but they're not a step up on Saints. Not in a million years. Liverpool, you can argue, it's a step up on Saints. You go to West Ham, you just go there for the money. And if you just go somewhere for the money, you deserve what you get. Um, you know, Everton, I think, I probably have enjoyed Koeman not doing very well quite a lot. I mean, the, the real shame for him, I think, is he thought you know, Southampton was a stepping stone to a bigger Premier League club. And I think he thought that Everton was a stepping stone to a bigger European club, perhaps beginning with a B and ending in an Barcelona. Um, completely agree. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And now that that looks like it's in tatters, or if it, if he's going to get it, he now starts again. He's going to have to do it 10 years of working before he gets that job. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I wonder if maybe the Dutch national side might be a, a way that he can perhaps rectify his uh, reputation at this point. Say so, I mean, Tom, I, I don't know if there's anything else that you particularly want to talk about this week. I, I think we've covered a lot of ground there. I think, but what I would say is what a difference a game makes. The optimism, I think, is back. I, I'm always more optimistic than most, but I, I do think, yeah, the optimism is back. I think Bufau has lifted, I hope Bufau has lifted people and given people something to be excited about and, you know, roll on Sunday. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing if Buffal's given a starting position or if perhaps he's brought on a little bit earlier. Um, my only worry is that having beaten like pretty much all of the West Brom team in one move, that he might just not pass the ball at all and just constantly try it over and over and over again and get a little bit frustrated. But I'm feeling more confident going into the game against Brighton. I think if we start with the kind of purpose that we did against West Brom... Um, especially away from home, especially against a team like Brighton. When they're at home, I think they'll be forced to attack us a little bit. Yep. You know, pe- people, the fans will want to see them being positive. And I think if Brighton approach the game in a more positive way, I think Saints can beat them. And perhaps, you know, with Gabbiadini getting two goals, with Buffel getting a goal, perhaps we can start to see some confidence and, and see some more progressive football and, and some more goals. I think if we get an early goal, um, we'll settle well and I, I think we can win. All right, brilliant. Well, yeah, perhaps we'll end it on that. Uh, I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll watch the game against Brighton, and you know, perhaps we'll check in in a couple of weeks. Um, I've also got an interview that I've already recorded with Dean Hammond, so that's going to be coming out um, probably next week. So do make sure you have a little listen for that, and um, it'll probably come out the day after we play Brighton. So the prediction that I got Dean Hammond to do for that game will be uh, you know totally pointless. But anyway, you, you can have a little, little listen to what you thought. Um, 
But yeah, thank you very much for listening to us again. Once again, if you want to send us any feedback, we're on email, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at saintsfcpodcast. And of course, we're very happy um, for you to leave your feedback on the iTunes store or whatever app you listen to your podcast on. Thank you very much. And, and that's bye-bye from me. That's good night from me. Cheerio.